Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. Well, He is risen. Uh, Good morning and uh, happy Easter to you. Uh, My name is Tim. I serve as one of the pastors here, and we're really glad uh, that you've chosen to spend your Easter with us this morning. If you have a Bible, you can turn it to Luke chapter 5. That's where we'll be, verses 17 through 26. Uh, I'm going to read that scripture for us uh, now. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd... They went up on the roof and let him down by his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise, pick up your bed, and go home? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. Amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Uh, Let me pray for us. Father, uh, would would these words, this story, uh, be real in our hearts now? Make it real to us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, forgiveness is difficult. One of the most difficult experiences as a human is to ask for forgiveness or to say to someone else, I forgive you. For example, one rule I have tried to institute in my family with complete failure is no eating in the car. And the reason for this rule is when I've gone to clean our cars, I've found all kinds of food remnants, half-eaten peanut butter crackers, pretzels, empty hot chocolate cups, that it was clear there was a Starbucks celebration in the car and I was not invited. So whether out of my own petty jealousy or cleanliness, no eating in the car. But also, if our car is full of half-eaten food... Some animal in the midst of a harsh northwest Indiana winter might discover our cars as shelter 
a refuge fully stocked with sucker sticks, half-eaten bananas and Cheerios, a wonderful winter home. Thus, there is no eating in the car. Well, a few months ago, we were all headed to Chicago together, and on a The Dan Ryan Expressway is where we were driving, and it's a road where people believe they are qualifying for the Indianapolis 500. I'm curious, does anyone here know what the speed limit is on the Dan Ryan? Do you know, Bodie? Well, no, it's not that. No, the speed limit is drive fast enough to to not get killed. That's That's the speed limit. So we're driving on the Dan Ryan, and I hear a scream. A child has screamed. And about the time I hear the scream, I I see something moving on my dashboard. And then I spot there is a mouse on my dashboard. And its name was not Mickey. And I I watch as it, it just moves its way towards me. And gets closer to me. And then it starts moving its way towards my steering wheel. And I realize this mouse is going to jump on me. And I just hope it goes down my leg and not up my face. Sure enough, he makes his way and he he leaps onto me and crawls his way down my leg while I'm driving down the Dan Ryan Expressway. And that is why there is no eating in the car. (laughs) Now, I will not bore you with the rest of the story. You can imagine what happened to that mouse. But my point is, no matter how much my wife or my kids might apologize to me for the repeated half-eaten bananas left in the car, their apologies will never undo the feeling of having a mouse crawl down my leg while I drive on the Dan Ryan. You can't just say, I'm sorry, and that never have happened. Or if I was to say, I forgive you, how will I ever know that never again will a half-eaten banana be left in the car? If I just forgive, won't they keep doing the same thing over and over again? Of course, this is a shallow example, and I tell it to make you uh, laugh. But what happens when the trauma of our life or what happens to us isn't shallow, but real and painful? How then can we forgive? Or when we do damage to others, make a mess of our lives or theirs, how can we know that we can be forgiven? Uh, Those are real questions, and they're questions at the heart of the story I just read, where Jesus forgives a man, a story that I don't think makes any sense without Easter. So this morning, I want to look at this story through the lens of Easter and uh, process through the hope of forgiveness, the difficulty of forgiveness, and the power of Jesus. Uh, So first, the, the hope of Forgiveness. So uh, there's a man who cannot walk, and he's been carried by his friends to the home where Jesus is teaching. But when they get to the home where Jesus is teaching, there's no way in. And so we read this in, in verse 18. Some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof. The crowds prevented these men and their friend from getting to Jesus. 
Why? I mean, imagine being in that crowd. Some men carrying their paralyzed friend on a mat, tap you on the shoulder. Hey, can we get through to Jesus? And you turn around and you say no. And then you go back to listening to Jesus. Why would anyone treat them this way? One reason might be that this is how religious people in Jesus' day often treated those who could not walk. Their assumption was God has cursed you in some way. That's why you're paralyzed. And so there's indifference. Or maybe the man who was paralyzed was not well liked in the community. Maybe the crowds knew him. That he had done things that had ruined his reputation, had harmed others, and so they didn't want to help him. His reputation prevented the crowds from helping him. Whatever the reason, this is a pretty brutal move by the crowds. But the friends don't stop. Uh, they, they get up on the roof and they tear it open, building what I believe is the first elevator in history. And they lower the man down so he's right next to Jesus. And Jesus, who obviously has to acknowledge the fact that the roof just got torn open and now there's a man inconveniently placed in front of him, speaks to the man, Friends, your sins are forgiven. What a moment. And one wonders, how did that man respond to Jesus? What he thought to himself, that's nice, I'm actually here to be healed so that I can walk, not to be forgiven of sins. Or did he come to Jesus wondering, God has cursed me. It's my fault that I'm this way. And I wonder what Jesus will say to me. I wonder what God would say to me. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's what the man was thinking, because I've heard that a lot as... A pastor, people's fear that at any moment God's going to drop the hammer on me. If I ever get near to God, he's going to let me have it. If you got near to God, what do you think he would say to you? How would he treat you? Maybe you even walked into church uh, this morning a little nervous. This is your first time here. What are they, what are they going to say? Uh, and then I walked up with uh, this, this big beard, and it's like, did that guy get kicked out of a biker gang? Maybe he thinks God is angry. I, I mean, if you got near to God, what, what do you think he would say to you? How would he treat you? Because we have our answer here. This is the whole reason Jesus comes into earth. And if he were here in the physical flesh this morning, I believe he would say the same thing to you that he says to this man, friend, your sins are forgiven. Whatever you have done, I am here on behalf of the Father to release you from your sins. You are forgiven. Jesus did not come into the world to drop the hammer on you. But so that you could hear, friend, your sins are forgiven. Can you hear that? 
this morning. But I do recognize there are some problems in saying this. Some of us are thinking, I would like that to be true. I want to trust that to be true, that Jesus would forgive me, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know what's in my past. I still feel like God is angry with me. Or some of us are thinking, Tim, you're making this too easy. Jesus can't say I forgive you until proper demonstration of repentance is offered. Which, of course, doesn't happen in this text. And so those thoughts lead us to where we need to go next, which is the difficulty of forgiveness. The religious people who are listening to Jesus immediately raise an objection in their minds to this. Verse 21, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, to be clear, that's an entirely fair question to ask. God alone can forgive. And I, actually, I agree with the Pharisees here. They are right to raise objections to Jesus saying this. And, and that's true for a lot of reasons, but I, I want to name two this morning. The first being that God alone can forgive because God alone could deal with the corruption of sin. And here's what I, what I mean. When I, when I sin, it's not that I go out and do one act that is wrong and then that is the end of it. One act of sin spreads corruption out into the world. For example, leave a half-eaten banana in the car and a mouse shows up at the Dan Ryan. If I visit my anger upon another person, yell at them, that moment will shape them. And even if I say I'm sorry, it will not undo the, the feeling of shame and vulnerability and pain of my words and harshness yelled at them. Gossip about another person. Twist the knife into their reputation just a bit and it will spread like water, wildfire. And that person will never be able to undo what you've said. Tell a lie about someone else and you can ruin them. For example, in uh, Lyndon B. Johnson's first Senate race in Texas, he was up against a, a beloved governor named Coke Stevenson who had a, a sterling reputation. And Johnson was a long shot to win. So he told a lie about Stevenson, a, a, a demonstrable lie that no one really believed at first, but he repeated that lie everywhere he went. And the lie was so obviously a lie, Stevenson refused to respond or dignify what Johnson was saying. But over time, the lie took hold. People began to believe it. And by the time Stevenson was ready to respond to it, it was too late. His reputation had been damaged, and he lost the Senate race. That lie spread like cancer. It ruined a man and affected the, the future of our country because Johnson would later become president. What I'm saying is sin is not just a simple act we commit, and then it's over. It's not like spilling milk on a hardwood floor where you take some paper towel and wipe it up. It's dumping a paint can on the carpet. You're not getting that out. It's there forever. And that's why what Jesus says here is problematic Friends, your sins are forgiven. What about the people this man has hurt? How can Jesus just forgive this man on the spot and not deal with the corruption of the man's sin into the world? Whatever that is. That the only way Jesus should say this is if Jesus has the power to undo the corruption of the man's sin. The harm his sins caused. The wounds they introduced into other people. So how do we know if Jesus has the power to do that? 
Well, that's one reason why. I, you just can't say your sins are forgiven. The other reason is God alone can forgive because God alone is, is the judge. Now, we don't like that in our idea. Uh, we believe no one should judge us. And even the phrase, only God can judge me, often really means only I can judge myself. That we believe we should live by our hearts, not some external standards others would give to us, and certainly not a God. Our culture believes strongly in sayings like, you do you, follow your hearts. And if you want to sing our cultural ethos, we have a great song. Let it go. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go. But as catchy as that song is, and it is incredibly catchy, the movie Frozen ultimately undermines that song. Elsa isn't free. As she sings those words, she builds herself an ice palace where she's alone, cut off from her family in isolation, and resurrects a giant Olaf to go destroy her family. You can't just let it go. You can't really live as if you're your own judge, because if you do, it costs the people around you. As T.S. Eliot puts it in his poetry, half of the harm done in the world is due to people who feel important. They don't mean to do harm, but the harm does not interest them. Or they do not see it. Or they justify it. Because they are absorbed in the endless struggle to think well of themselves. See, if you set yourself up as your own judge of your life, you have to think well of yourself. You have to acquit yourself, pronounce yourself not guilty. But there are two problems with this. Either you become indifferent to the harm that you cause to others. You're absorbed in the endless struggle to think well of yourself. So when other people come to you with the ways in which you've harmed them, you won't listen. You won't care. Because they're pronouncing you guilty and you, you have to think well of yourselves to, be, to exist in the world. Or if you, you are your own judge and you do know the harm you've caused, you'll never be sure that there's forgiveness for you because you can't forgive yourself. Have you done enough? Have you rectified your wrongs to the extent that you should? And if there's a God involved in your scheme, how will you be sure that God will forgive you? Have you done enough to make sure he won't drop the hammer on you? Are you good enough? Have you done enough? See, if you think you're your own judge, you might end up in an ice castle by yourself and freeze your sister to death. And so we say, no one can judge us, but ultimately that just leads to extreme selfishness or isolation or loneliness. Now in Jesus' day, they approached this very differently. They, they did assume there was a God, and so they had built an entire system of forgiveness. If you needed to be forgiven by God, you took an animal, bird, some grain, you went to the priest, and then you would sacrifice that animal's life for yours, that grain's life for yours, and then the priest could pronounce forgiveness over you. God would forgive you through that system, but Jesus is throwing that whole system away right here. He says, you don't need to go to the priest for forgiveness. I'll forgive you here on the spot. I mean, that's stunning. Jesus offends us in our culture by saying, I am your judge and your greatest problem is your sins. And if you ever come before me and are laid at my feet, that's the first thing we're going to deal with. That offends us. Jesus defends that culture by saying, listen, I'm throwing out that system of forgiveness and replacing it with me. With my right 
to pronounce forgiveness at any moment I should choose. How can Jesus say that? The man doesn't have to offer a sacrifice. Jesus doesn't put him on a trial period to see if he can earn his forgiveness on the spot. Friends, your sins are forgiven. How can Jesus say that? Well, that leads me to where I'd like to end, the power of Jesus. Now, one disadvantage of a sermon is that we make things that are very short, very long. Uh, The story actually moves quite fast. So I've taken about 20 minutes for probably an event in the world that, that took maybe three, not counting the tearing the roof open. So the man, he's lowered to the feet of Jesus. The crowd hushes and Jesus said, friend, your sins are forgiven. A few seconds pass. Jesus looks over at the Pharisees. I know what you're thinking. Who has the right to say this? Well, let me ask you, what what would be easier to say, friend, your sins are forgiven, or pick up your mat and go home? Then he looks at the man, friend, pick up your mat and go home. And then the man picks up his mat and goes home. That's why they're all amazed. Because in a matter of a few minutes, Jesus undoes so much of their assumptions of the world. First, that a paralyzed man could walk again. But secondly, that God could enter into the world and just forgive sins on the spot. This undoes their paradigm. And so they go home amazed. And when I read this story, I think, man, if... If I saw this, I would be amazed. But I haven't seen anything like this. And it is true. I've never seen a physical healing this dramatic. But we we are all witnesses to the profound power of Jesus. The very fact that you are sitting in this room right now is a profound witness to the power of Jesus. Let me prove that by asking you, how many people do you know who have been crucified in history by name? If I was to to give you, of, of all the tens of thousands of people crucified in Roman history, and there were a lot, how many could you name? And the point is probably none but one. Because crucifixion was meant to erase the history of that person to shame them publicly and say, if you are associated with that person, you're going to end up just like him. So that raises the question, why do we know Jesus' name and no one else's? Why are there communities on every continent in the world right now reading stories from the life of Jesus and saying this one Sunday defines and redefines the entire universe? Why do we know the name of Jesus? Because there are only two types of crucified people throughout history. Those whose names we don't know, and there's tens of thousands of them. Or secondly, Jesus, whom billions of people worship as God. It's astounding we even know the name of Jesus. So why do we know his name? Because it's resurrection power. 
And on Easter morning, we have our answer for why Jesus can say to this man, friend, your sins are forgiven. Why I believe if Jesus was here in the flesh this morning and was in front of you, would say the same thing to you. Why I believe I'm here on his behalf this morning to say to you, friend, your sins are forgiven. Why do we know his name? What is the power of Jesus? And I want to I give you two thoughts and then I'll, I'll take my seat. The first, you know of Jesus because he forgave everyone who sought him. Read through the Gospels, you will not find a single instance of someone coming up to Jesus and saying, help me, and Jesus saying, you're too far gone. I can't. Now, religious people say that all the time. And too often, religious can, uh, can think Jesus' forgiveness um, is also based on performance. Many churches have, have fallen in line with the Pharisees and say, wait a minute, he might... He might forgive you, yes, but how sorry do you feel this morning? He might forgive you, yes, but, but will you do it again? You have to prove you won't. You need a trial period, and then how we see you live your life, then we can pronounce forgiveness. No, that's not what this story is telling. What this story says is all you need is faith. And what is faith? Faith is tearing open the roof. It's not moral performance. It's tearing open the roof. Jesus says he's amazed at the, the faith of the friends. And all they did was tear open the roof and put Jesus at their feet. And that's good news because if you want the forgiveness of Jesus, he's not looking for you to prove yourself. You don't have to repent sufficiently enough for his expectations of you. You don't have to have enough good works to outweigh your bad works. Just tear open the roof and get to Jesus. So don't let anyone or anything keep you away from him. We believe he's present now. And if you come before him, and lay yourself at his feet in vulnerability, the only thing he will say to you is, friend, your sins are forgiven. Whatever you have done, I am here on behalf of the Father to say, you are forgiven. Can you hear that this morning? We know about Jesus because there's never been a religious figure like that. Ever. But the second reason you know Jesus' name is because he was risen from the dead. So why, why resurrection? Why, why Easter? Because forgiveness is difficult. Jesus underwent the worst of human deaths because he took into himself all of the cascading, corrupting effects of sin onto himself and onto the cross. You spill paint on the carpet, someone's going to have to spend a lot of effort and time to remove it and put something back new. That times infinity is what Jesus is doing on the cross, pulling into himself all of the, not just the sins you committed, but the corrupting effects of those sins. To take them into himself and into a grave three days later, to be raised to new life, to overcome all of those cascading effects of our sins to unleash a new power in the universe that doesn't just forgive sin, it, do, it undoes it. That Jesus took your sins into the grave. And so he could say to you, I took your sins into my grave and my grave is empty. We don't know where your sins went. They're gone. They've been taken care of. But the resurrection is not just forgiveness. You don't just get a second chance. It's much more than that. When Jesus was resurrected, a new power was introduced into the universe. A power described in Revelation that makes all things new. It doesn't make all new things. It doesn't just replace the universe. It makes the universe new. It undoes the corrupting effects of 
sin. And the best way I can describe this is a moment from the Lord of the Rings, J.R.R. Tolkien, who himself was a Christian. There's a moment in the stories when Gandalf appears to Frodo and Samwise after they had watched Gandalf die. Gandalf fought the dragon and then apparently fell to his death. But now here he is alive again with Frodo and Samwise. And when Samwise sees Gandalf, he says this, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? What I want you to hear me proclaiming this morning is, is not just if you believe in Jesus, you can go to heaven one day when you die. No, we believe because of the resurrection, everything sad will come untrue. So when Jesus says, friends, your sins are forgiven, then he goes on to prove that, that he can rework this guy's body so that he can get up and walk again. He has the power to reach into this man's body, to rework muscles and neural pathways and brain chemistries with the mere sound of his voice. And if he has that power, then he has the power to reach into your life and rework the damage your anger has caused, the lies you have told, the gossip you have participated in, the ways in which you were never supposed to live. If he can reach into this man's body and make it work again, he has the power to undo the things that have been done to you and to undo the things you have done to others. And if Jesus can rework this man's body with his voice, one day he will rework all of creation by undoing Everything that has been sad. So this Easter, may I invite you to two responses. First, tear open the roof. Get to Jesus. If you've never become a Christian, you can this morning. We're not asking you to prove yourself. We're not inviting you to a trial period. You don't have to earn it. Just lay yourself at Jesus' feet. Which, of course, requires enormous humility. He's the only one who can help. So I'll do whatever I can to get to him, including ruin a perfectly good roof. Requires enormous vulnerability and humility. And imagine the courage of that man and his friends. And what it would have been like to be there lying before Jesus, looking up at him, hoping he would help. Tear open the roof, get to him. But second, uh, celebrate. After Samwise asked that question to Gandalf, this is what happens next. A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf. And then he laughed, and the sound was like music, or like water in a parched land. A great shadow has departed. Jesus is not waiting to drop the hammer on you. He went into a cross, into a grave, and rose from the dead to release his resurrection power into your life. And he has the authority, and he has the power to make everything sad come untrue. And he has used that authority and his power to offer you his hand. So take his hand and write a new song with your laughter. Let me pray. Father... This Easter morning, we are grateful that we do not proclaim a gospel of moral efforts, of second chances, of maybe this time we'll get it. But we proclaim an empty tomb. Whoever came sin and death and hell itself to release forgiveness from our sins into this world. 
No word, no song, no argument could ever convince us of that truth. We have so many walls built up to prevent us from believing that. Uh, so may we, may we tear those walls down like the friends tore open the roof and just get back to, to you, Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Well, the first way we're going to celebrate this morning together is through the meal of uh, communion. If your faith is in Jesus, if you've torn open the roof to get to him, uh, we want to invite you to come to his table uh, now. We have five stations up front. There's a couple in the balcony. Um, come in groups of five to seven. Take the bread, dip it into the juice, eat it together at the instruction of those who are serving you. If you're not yet a Christian, this meal's not yet for you, but we would love to tell you what it means to follow Jesus with your life, to receive his forgiveness and salvation. I'll be in the hall. Come and talk to me after the service. With that, let's open up space now to lay our, ourselves before Jesus and to receive his healing. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.